Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. It is an honor to welcome you back uh, for this new episode of the FEPS Talks, which is a very, very special one, uh, because today we are commemorating an incredibly important person who have done so much for the progressive movement in Europe and Great Britain, Joe Cox. Most unfortunately, we are arriving to the fifth very sad anniversary of her passing, of her death, of her murder. And we want to use the moment of today to bring back the memory of Joe Cox, but also the legacy and what it means for the progressives around the world. For that, we couldn't imagine more honouring guests than Jean Royal who is a Baroness Royale of Blessing, who is the principal of Somerville College in Oxford, but to many of you is very much known as an incredibly hardcore politician, having led in the House of Lords, having been one of the front benches of the Labour Party, having been extremely outspoken for Europe, having done countless of fights for democracy, for inclusion, for equal opportunities. Jeanne, it is absolutely incredible honour to have you with us today. It's my honour. I can't tell you how much I miss European politics, how much I miss that, and how much I have wept over the last few years about Brexit. But today we're here to talk about Joe, not really about Brexit. Indeed, though, somewhat the two topics will definitely in our conversation probably prove to be very much connected. But I think, uh, you know, once we are looking at five years, and by the way, to me, uh, still the shock and horror of the day when uh, uh, Joe Cox's uh, uh, life was taken in on the day when she was together with her community is uh, still very fresh in my memory. I think that to many of the progressives uh, across Europe, perhaps the memory is not so lively anymore. And it's only a proper that we give justice to Joe's memory and perhaps as my first very first question what that is that we should remember about John Cox uh, now and for the future? There are so many things that we should remember about Joe, and I think that what we talk about today will sort of, the subjects will weave in and out. She was an internationalist, she was a humanitarian, she was somebody who believed passionately in social justice, she was a a socialist, a social democrat, but she also understood sometimes in order to achieve our objectives, we needed to work across parties. And she did that in a very, very successful way in the House of Commons and with things like her Loneliness Commission. She was such a formidable and focused human being who wanted to change the world. Everything she did, she wanted to make the world better for those around her, be they in her own community, her own country, the European Union or the world. But when we remember her as a politician, as a fighter, as an internationalist, uh, we also remember how humane, how incredibly humane she has been when it comes to struggling for very, you know, clear political goals. And I think, you know, you've mentioned understanding and we started this conversation with uh, making um, a link to what I know is very dear to your heart, namely the European Union. Joe Cox, evidently, we will remember the pictures of her from the campaign in favour of Remain. And I was wondering, you know, because today it's not only about looking back, it's also looking forward. It's about taking Joe Cox's legacy 
as a compass of what we should be doing. So when we look at the UK and EU relationship, when we look at the new cooperation and trade agreement, what do you think, you know, as progressives, we should remember what Joe would like us to do? I think that Joe would like us to have an open dialogue. I mean, she she cared deeply about understanding and she knew that if people talk to each other, you could always find, or usually you could find a way through. And I think, you know, we've left the European Union. I would love to be part of the European Union again in the future, as many, many people would in the Labour Party. But we understand that now is not the time. So what we have to do is to continue to work together, the governments of the European Union and Great Britain working together, but also as socialists. I just love the Party of European Socialists and the work that it does. And I think it's very important that the British Labour Party retains a strong presence in the Party of European Socialists. It returns, it is part of FEPS that we all work together because so many of the problems that we are, that we're dealing with, that we're confronting in Britain, we are confronting all over the European Union and it's common solutions to common problems. I think that's a very right uh, thing, especially that now when we hear about this unfortunate divorce, where we all would like to see as a separation, not as a divorce, really, uh, that we can still somehow get back together, maybe not, as you said, now, but in the future, and we should all stay working together. That is indeed about solving common problems, because when we hear about, you know, what happens to the workers that are in the UK that come from the different uh, countries uh, while they are asking for the new status, when we hear about what happens to the British citizens uh, being stuck, if you want, on the continent, or if we look at this week's uh, gatherings, G7 or others, I think that, you know, Joe Cox's legacy about we have so much in common and we should understand that so much connects us is definitely uh, leaving on. And here I think I already make uh, with that a very short introduction to the reference to most famous quote of uh, Joe Cox taken from her maiden speech uh, we have more in common than that would divide us she's always been extremely outspoken about the value of democracy a value of dialogue building mutual respect and uh, as you said already earlier talking to one another but currently democracy is in danger right I mean we see it all over we see the polls that are extremely worrying we see the outcomes of the elections that show autocrats and uh, the uh, right-wing extreme rising unprecedentedly in power we see politics full of what would have been unthought before unacceptable really so um, what that is is progressives uh, you know inspired by what she wanted us to do how to position ourselves uh, how to fight it it's very difficult because the populists always have very snappy answers, very simple answers to complex problems. And we know that the problems that we confront in the European Union and the world are extremely difficult and challenging. And you know, a few words do not provide the answers. That's why we have to continue together to work, to look at the problems. And we have to connect with people all the time. That's one of Joe's great legacies was connection with people. And I think that too often we as social democrats, we are seen to be different from the people who we seek to represent. We have to show them that we we are part of the same society. We, we share their problems. It's not just that we understand their problems because that looks as though we are kind of trying to do things to people. What we should be doing is 
working with people, enabling people. And I think that's what we can do as social democrats, because we are of the people, for the people, and we must always remember that. But I think one of the difficulties is that due to the pandemic, you know, there's had to be massive government investment, which is very welcome all over the European Union. But in a way, it's sort of stolen some of our clothes as social democrats. We can certainly be critical of the way in which it's been done, and there are many gaps. And we know that the inequalities within and between our countries is growing. And that's a huge, huge problem. But if one reads the newspapers all over the European Union, it looks as though these right-wing governments, you know, people think they're doing a fantastic job. So somehow we've got to be with the people, talking to the people and enabling them to do things differently. We are enablers. This does seem very complex circumstances. We are currently now post-COVID because on one side we've seen... uh, people really longing for more of the welfare state, uh, showing much more of solidarity than before. But at the same time, we've had entire populations trapped in very much individualized circumstances, turning to the government regardless of the color and not always seeing the difference. And when you talk about the growing gaps, most evidently where the statistics are really scary is the situation of women, women of very different origins in very different situations. And I'm, you know, binding that again, uh, connecting that with the history of Jo Cox because she was a feminist uh, through and through. Uh, She was very strong and very outspoken about uh, women's rights, rights to equal opportunities, to social justice, to be able to choose their path. Her coat of arms uh, is very much of a consideration, exactly, um, consideration of the very early suffragette scholars. So uh, taking that into account, you know, what could be the way of not only being with the people, as you say, but also paving new way and trying to uh, promote um, the uh, development, justice and equality for both genders, for women specifically? I think that women, as, as you quite rightly say, have borne the brunt of so much of the pandemic. And I think that in, in every country, we need, need to be doing more to, to empower women, to give women the confidence to act, to participate in their communities. But we also need them to do that in global terms, because we know, for example, in many situations of conflict, when it comes to the trying to find solutions for the peace, women often aren't involved in these situations. So we need to ensure that women are always around the table. So we've got to educate, empower women. And that is something that Joe certainly believed in. And there are many initiatives around the world now in Joe's name that are empowering women. There's there things in this country and there are things throughout the world. And I think that Joe would be very proud of many women who've really stepped up to the plate in this pandemic. But she would also, I'm sure like you and I, Anya, be kind of dismayed because when you look at the pictures coming out of the G7 this last weekend, there were two women there, you know, two out of seven, I suppose, you know, we've come on more than seven, we've come some way, but I want to kick and scream when I see these pictures and Angela Merkel's soon going to be gone. So then we have no, you know, woman right up there to the forefront. And I just think that we've really got to ensure that we are working with women at community level to give them the confidence then to take sort of political steps so that they too know that they can become leaders. At the weekend, I was at a conference which was discussing climate change. And there were some extraordinary women there who are activists, who are lawyers, who are researchers and scientists. And they were saying what we can do together 
to ensure that the world doesn't go up in fire, as it were, because our planet is on fire, but also saying what we can do as individuals. And I think women understand or need to better understand their power as individuals. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the uh, terrible pictures of last weekend, uh, which uh, unfortunately line up with many other terrible pictures of uh, how much we are lacking women leadership and also what happens when women leaders come to represent different uh, states. I'm, of course, referring to very unfortunate picture with Ursula van der Leyen uh, in Turkey in this dimension. But it's also scary statistics. At the same time, uh, you have uh, uh, women at the front line of fighting the pandemics. Uh, 72% of uh, women are the domestic and care workers. But then when you look at, you've mentioned the climate change, and of course, UK will be hosting the next COP. Uh, it is only about one-fourth uh, uh, delegations have women leaders. It is only about uh, 6% of women that constitutes uh, mediators, while we know that women play absolutely pivotal role in the uh, resolution of the conflicts. That's true. But I think one, if there are any good things to come out of the pandemic, one is something that Joe cared deeply about, and that is community, the sense of community and volunteering. And I think that people's values have been changed in the pandemic. I hope that they've been changed because I think there's better understanding now of the need for us to look out for each other and that money isn't everything. There's much more to, to kind of having a quality of life. But it, it is women who have been at the forefront of many of the community and volunteering initiatives. And I think that that will endure. I hope that that will endure And also it's a means of giving women confidence because they know that they have achieved great things in their communities. And I hope that that will enable them to go forward. And of course, we must remember that it's the women, the women politicians of the left who've done brilliant things in the pandemic. We have lacked global leadership. That's been an affront to the world. But the people who have succeeded are people like wonderful New Zealand, Jacinda. Jacinda. I mean, she's just Brilliant. And, and you know, other women, it's been the women leaders who've found a way through. Yeah, I think uh, that the, this connection that you are now making between the women rising in their communities and the women leadership is extremely important and characteristic also for our times. Because if we look at the recent protests and strikes, I mean, just to recap them in a very generalist way, uh, starting from um, the uh, climate change, which had a very young female um, as the leader, as the face for the world protests, going through the Me Too campaigns and finishing now with the protests on Belarus as well. I mean, you very clearly see uh, that uh, the protest, the social mobilization has a female face, really. It does. And that's something I think we should be very proud of. And I've got, I mean, I'm an optimist um, and I've got great hope for the future because I think our young people, I mean, Greta encapsulates what, what young people can do. And it is the young people who are now, they are activists. They're wanting to change the world. So I think we should be confident that, you know, we can go forward to have a gentler kind of politics as well as um, activism, because that's something that Joe wanted. And that's something we've absolutely failed in that gentler kind of politics. And uh, when we talk about Joe in this more global context as well, uh, because after her, her murder, it was the entire international community that... Uh, um, that went into mourning. Uh, and it wasn't because uh, only of a young, still very much at the beginning of political career, member of parliament uh, was so brutally assassinated, but it was also because of the meaning that Joe had as 
having been working through Oxfam for the international community, having worked inside of the European Parliament with Glenis Kinnock uh, for development and humanitarian aid, and uh, uh, having been very outspoken when it comes to the issues connected with Palestine, peace in the Middle East, quite a broad uh, spectrum of different issues that she had been very passionate about. So, you know, taking into account the combo of this week uh, that falls uh, in the set anniversary that we are discussing, um, namely G7, namely at the EU-US uh, summit. Uh, what it is do you think that uh, the progressives should demand to really make a difference when we talk globally? I think that we need to be talking more about tangible response to COVID. So yes, the G7 leaders agreed that you know we're going to give know, a, a billion doses of, of the COVID vaccines to people in developing countries over the next year. Well, hell, they need it now. You know, we've got to be pushing for a swifter response. I think one of the issues that we haven't dealt with as as we should have done as social democrats and socialists, and that's immigration. And I think that that's something, it, I mean, it didn't appear on the agenda for the G7, perhaps it's not appropriate that it doesn't. But Joe was passionate about the she understood that people are concerned about immigration, but she was also passionate about ensuring that people better understood why we need immigration, why, why diversity is something to be celebrated. And I think that that's something that we've got to work on globally as social democrats. And it's all entwined with things like climate change, isn't it? Because the more that some of these sub-Saharan uh, countries are hit by climate change. We're going to have a water, you know, water is disappearing. People are obviously going to come further north. Who wouldn't? I mean, that's a very sensible thing to do. And we've got to make sure that we can rise to all these humanitarian challenges that confront us. And that's what Joe has always tried to do. I mean, she was right at the forefront talking about the world that would being tested in a crisis and the need for a global response. I think uh, we have covered so many different issues, which only proves very much uh, the point how much Joe Cox is being missed uh, this five years after she's been taken away from us uh, and what sort of uh, inspiring legacy um, she left for us with, I would say, a moral obligation to follow and to build on so that her memory can really live on inside of the British, but also European progressive family. But there are many who say, and I think uh, also last months uh, especially, have been quite depressing when you look at the literature about the centre-left. There are so many authors that are talking about uh, that um, Labour and Social Democracy Project was a project for one and a half century, that it achieved what it needed to do and it is coming to its limits. I know that the Labour Party has been having quite tough times now change leadership, but also, of course, the last election, Wales and Scotland have been um, of a challenge to the Labour Party as well. But uh, I'm turning back to you, uh, Jeanne, as uh, a person who has been serving uh, in the party of European Socialists, who knows very much uh, the situation also across uh, the channel uh, in the Union. Talking about uh, the legacy of uh, Joe, talking about uh, someone who would never give up. What are the reasons for us not to give up when it comes to the future of progressivism? Because if we look at the world as it is now, we can see that the world is confronted by so many problems. Problems to do with poverty, inequality. I mean, people are hungry all over the world. 
we've got climate change, we've got the, all the new technology challenges which are coming our way, AI, robots. And we know that the governments that are in power all over the, all over the world at the moment, they are not providing answers which are going to enable people to, to flourish, be they sort of, you know, I'm not against wealth creation. We want to create wealth, but we have to ensure that wealth that people benefit from the wealth that is created. So I think that there's a de- still a desperate need and a relevance of social democracy in the world. But what we have to do is to work together to find answers to the problems which are going to confront us in the future. We've got to look at different ways of working. We've got to look at new models. We've got to be bold and brave. And I think that if we do work together, we will be able to find solutions to the problems of the world, but we will be able to do so as social democrats. We've been talking about already so many different things that constitute the incredible richness of the legacy of Joe Cox. But is there anything else, John, that you would say that we absolutely have to remember today, five years after her assassination? One thing that we didn't talk about, sort of the things that Joe focused on were things like loneliness as well. I mean, she understood the difficulties that confront so many people in their daily lives. Uh, and I think that was really special. And I think that she has taught politicians an awful lot, as well as other members of our society. I think we should use her as our sort of guide. She's a beacon of She provides me with a beacon of hope. She shows a way forward. It has been an incredible conversation. And I do hope that as much as us, uh, those listening to us today, do feel not only moved, but also incredibly inspired and motivated to keep the memory of Joe Cox, but also her legacy very much alive by following her guidelines and getting an inspiration for an incredible personality she was, very courageous acts she has completed and the lessons she left us with. Jean Royat, Baroness of Blesham and the principal of Somerville College of Oxford, former Vice President of Party of European Socialists, former leader of the House of Lords in the Cabinet of Gordon Brown and former Lord President of the Council. Thank you so, so very much for giving us your time, your insights and for making us feel what that is that needs to be done to keep the memory alive forever. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>